Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined with here my good friend, my co-host. That's right. The only person that matters. The only co-host. Bryce Castillo. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm glad. To, I'm glad to be back on the show. <laughs> I love that Bryce says thanks for having me. Bryce controls everything: the audio, <laughs> the microphones, the delivery, all of that. And we were talking about this before the show because we're missing two other people. They're not important. And and I'm like, well. We know who, like, they talk about, like, what I just watched Lake Placid, and they talk about what a keystone species is, and that's, like, the cornerstone of everything else there. And we know who the keystone species here on this <laughs> podcast is. It's not Justin. It is not Brian. It is not me. It is Bryce. Is that, that Bryce can keep this train rolling no matter what. We are relevant. So thank you for having me. I'm, uh, uh, you're, uh, well, I'm happy to have you. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Thank sir? you. Man, I got this thing I've been thinking about. I figure... Uh, we, we could talk about with, with the other two on another time and be a different discussion. So I think it'll be evergreen. This is something I want you let's, – let's, let's go into the wild world of conjecture right now, okay? Mm-hmm. I work. I mean there's my job with AI, but then there's every day I interact with ChatGPT. Like I am – when I sit down at my computer, using my computer now means for me – having several chat GPT windows open as I do work. And, and it's, it's wow. research, whatever, a lot of code, a lot of these other stuff, playing with things, whatever. OpenAI just unveiled this new thing now called chat preferences, which lets you basically tell chat GPT how to respond to you. So there's my work, which is like, oh, let me come up with some demos to showcase what this can do. But then there's just my life of like playing with this stuff nonstop. Like, um, and I get way more done now way more i can code things like while we were trying to get our show up and running literally within the time of that i was able to spin up a database in the background and a user interface and all that wow right? that was I mean, like just five ten minutes that was that was really quick wow the, the computers price computers <laughs> okay well. uh, it, it, it's and it because it comes like i know i know like oh and i know it knows python i know what it, it can create a flash server or whatever blah blah so anyhow point is is like I can see this. We're seeing this now. There have been like Microsoft unveiled, unveiled Copilot 365, which is going across their entire suite of Microsoft products. Google is doing stuff. We've been adding plugins and function stuff, and it's going to start creeping into all kinds of other places. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to talk about AI, though. What I'm saying to talk about is the acceleration. Forget whatever the singularity may mean, and even forget like, what it means to have AGI or the new hot term is ASI, artificial superintelligence. Oh, just I don't like that. That's that seems. Uh, <laughs> I'm market testing it. We're market testing it. But the point is, is that but you do need to categorize to say like because there's a difference between something that's like capable as human capable, and there's things that can exceed us. Hmm. And systems now can exceed us in several ways. Several ways they're way behind us, and 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 I can. I can I can speak for hours about the current limitations of LLMs and whatnot. But point being, we are in a place we did not foresee six months ago. The, the widespread use of these systems six, seven months ago, the idea that, that LLMs, large language models, were going to be this widespread, that this many people would be doing this, that you would hear people, their jobs are being impacted. Copywriters and other people talk about, hey, this is affecting me, and it's going to affect other jobs. It's going to create opportunities. It's going to disrupt stuff. But the point is, 
there's an acceleration happening, right? Mm -hmm. And we can think that, that, and it's going to apply to other things. If you are a biologist, a year from now, two years from now, whatever, you're going to probably, you're going to want to be competitive and do really good research. You are going to be using a tool that is going to help you accelerate it. And you're going to say, hey, I need to look at these samples, spin up a database and write some things on this, write some tests, whatever. Boom. And I can see what I see internally in computing. And the thing I'll mention is like, OpenAI is a tiny company. It's a very tiny company. I mean, there is, you know, it is very compared to everybody else. And we are able to have a big impact in part because we use a lot of our tools and our systems to do this sort of stuff. Like we, we, we play with this, but that's going to extend elsewhere and you're going to see that elsewhere. So what happens when all of a sudden a biologist can spin up a version of ChatGPT or, you know, Copilot, Bard, uh, Claude, or whatever system there's going to be out there. There's many other people now in this space. What happens when they can spin this thing up and it helps accelerate their work or an engineer or something? There's always going to be limitations in the in the physical, you know, atoms part of the world. But I think we're going to see an acceleration in a lot of places, in a lot of areas. And we have things. I'm getting to a point, I swear. I swear I'm getting to a point. <laughs> we have... We're seeing things like now fusion research, energy, like fusion energy research, improved reactor designs. If I'm going to get there, trust me, if 10 years from now, imagine 10 years from now, I don't even have to say ASI or AGI, just systems that are 10x better than what we have now. Like I can't imagine what a 10x GPT-4 would be like because it, it's, it's, it's already incredibly capable. I mean, I know how it would improve it, but anyhow. Imagine we have abundant intelligence systems, we have abundant energy, and we can solve a lot of problems, we can move capital to solve things, do things like this. When I'm getting that price, is it time to start thinking about creating Starfleet? Creating Starf? Oh, oh. Uh, uh, now, uh, pretend, I, pretend I was uh, dummy about that particular franchise. What would, what would be the top level on Starfleet? Galactic so communism. Starfleet, well, I mean, they they, they uh, it's socialist, <laughs> but let's 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 ignore you know one the ugly history of socialism and that aspect of it and yeah. the, the the hand waviness that that aspect. That's the thing that always sort of got to me in Star Trek was like ah we don't have any need for money you know says Captain Card like don't you own a vineyard in France <laughs> like don't you own like a huge vineyard like. Does everybody get a vineyard in your future? Do we all have vineyards like French, you know, chateaus and stuff? Is that a norm? Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I hope so. Oh. But a starship captain gets to have that. <laughs> Got it. He saved Sounds the day. Really he saved the world. You know, the hero. Let the heroes drink, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, the hero of the Soviet Union, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the thing that, that that I will do a little side thing. That was like, like I, Star Trek is fun. I love Star Trek. Uh, new season of Stranger Olds is fine. It's not very high stakes or exciting or whatever, and it's is sort of like the 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 you know, like the last episode I watched is one of these like, hey, we're mining this giant gas field and weird things are going wrong, and Uhura is hearing voices in her head. And you're like, okay, yeah, plot number twenty two. You know, this is the same thing as the mining thing. Like, it's like, yes, we know this formula. This is the, the something in the gas mine is alive. And, and it's, 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 it was sort of like, I have, to, like, I look at the timestamp like three minutes in. I'm like, I have to wait for 45 more minutes <laughs> to get to the thing. That You're going to make been, me find out all of these obvious things. Yeah. If I've been watching Star Trek ever, you would know. But anyhow, I, neither here nor there. 
I'm not going to talk about the political or the socioeconomic thing, but let's just say in an age of abundance and whatnot, an era when we have like tremendous amounts of money, whatever it could be, is it time for us to start thinking about building Starfleet? And I didn't think the Federation, more the Starfleet, the idea of like just expanding, outward expanding. Do, I mean, there not there an intermediate step where we do that on Earth, where we sprawl? the the less denser portions of the planet or like i guess that's the question is well, do, do we do we is there a bottle stopper that makes us overpopulate earth before we get to that point because there uh, i guess the, the, the data now doesn't look like we're overpopulation is not our biggest threat our data is going to be under underpopulation will be our biggest threat right oh. um uh it's just like it's just people even across the board you know like 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 China is going into a population decline. You know, the, there are very few countries that are still continuing, but even then you can see there's the cycle. So underpopulation is the biggest threat to, to humanity, in my opinion, other than the potential of like, you know, battle poorly aligned AI. Yeah. Right. So so are we exploring these strange new worlds? Are we going embarking on what will probably be a kind of desolate mission to explore the universe? Or are we terraforming? Because it is we there's a good distance between us and other earth-like planets let's let's terraform let's assume that we're going to have abundant energy and that's one of the things is that this is a framework we look back and you look at what was the what was the engineering miracle of the day a hundred years ago and now it's a commonplace thing we do it all the time you know a a suspension bridge was a huge deal and now a suspension bridge you know those things open off okay tunneling through mountains and these things and like we have the amount of you know there's a great formula which is to look at like how much would you have to work to have an hour of reading light okay you know when abraham lincoln was born it was like something like an hour an hour i forget that there was a ratio of how much time you would have to work to be able to afford the lamp oil to be able to have reading light and these things were very scarce and it's one of these things when when you watch movies that are set like historical pieces, one of the things that we really, really, really get wrong is how dark everything was. Because, you know, we, we, we light these things up like studio lighting, things like this, and maybe we'll have like a candle thing providing it. But you forget how dark it was because lighting was expensive. Like we live yeah. in this like we're post-singularity for lighting. Like literally we don't think about that. Like light is so abundant, so whatever, we don't care. And that's a magical thing that happened to the couple of generations. Oh, you know, but yeah. extrap. What's that? It, oh gosh, I bet there's a really interesting research paper in the rise of artificial lighting and like mega structure design, right? The uh, the architecture of castles from when you needed you were relying on the sunlight constantly to mm-hmm. skyscrapers today to to super dense packed cities. Um, where there is, you know, where you have a huge, uh, even even a huge building office, right? Where you have mm-hmm. uh, completely locked off rooms, rooms that don't have windows and things, um, and they aren't burning down because you're having to deal with the uh, the flames on every floor. Um, I bet there's there's something really interesting there about like that evolution of human design over centuries. Well, if you look at if you look at the way we design stuff, like w- the reason we like skyscrapers is that a skyscraper allows you to have a maximum amount of people 
with natural light, right? If you think about that, like, you know, you can, and you can't, in a city, you can't really build, it's hard to build flat because just the land's too expensive, but skyscrapers actually maximize for that. You go into a Costco or you go one of these big box stores and, you know, you look up and you realize there's a lot of skylights in there. Now that lighting is primarily, primarily artificial, but they do put the skylights in there partially too, because if the lights go out, you want to have lights. But, uh, yeah, our relationship with light is very interesting. But just to get to the point, though, is that yeah. we can now afford, like, the, the abundant amount of, like, I live in uh, a house that I run my AC all the time. And it's a, it's a large house in Northern California because I got a solar panel out back. So during the day, the solar panel is powering the AC, and, and my, my electric bill is, like, 200 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And you can extrapolate that into, the, you know, if I doubled the number of solar panels or this or they got cheaper. Point is, if you imagine a world, world of so much energy, so much what your point about terraforming, do we terraform? Maybe we terraform. Maybe we do that. Maybe, you know, Mars might be harder, but we could start building, you know, big habitats. But maybe maybe terraforming Mars does become more doable on a 30 or 40 year time frame. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know... What we would need is a breakthrough in in planetary climate control, right? It, we we would need something. We would need a technology available that would presumably solve some amount of of, of ozone loss or, or or global warming potentially um, as a as a an intermediary step between figuring out how exactly you nuke Mars to make it terraformed or what yeah, exactly I think, pa- bacteria I, yeah, I, you I, take, yeah. We, we, we have solutions that are energy intensive now, right? But they become more practical with carbon capture. Like carbon capture is a big thing. The, you know, electrification, whatnot, you know, it, it's sort of, a, it's an interesting discussion because, uh, you know, making car, electric cars more efficient, whatever, reducing the amount of CO2, they, the supply chain and producing them produces. There's a lot of, a lot of, I think those are easy problems from a certain point of view. I'd be like, oh, how is it easy? It's like, what are easy problems for us today that were the most complex problems in the world a hundred years ago? You know, like there, there are things that we just, we forget how hard it was. We forget how hard things were. And, you know, now when you can be categorized as poor and have a car yeah. and have a phone, we have the idea when, of like the working poor, the working homeless, like that's the yeah, level yeah. of technology that we have. Is that you are still not a not an ideal state for somebody to remain in, mind you? We're not, right. but we are. But that's the state like, of yeah, civilization. Like, uh, that's the state of technology. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know, you talk to like uh, friends, like of grandparents that grew up in rural areas, and people are still alive. Like they had houses with dirt floors. You know, they had an outdoor outhouse. Did not have plumbing. Like there was no plumbing, and that was norm. There was one telephone at the neighbor's house, and these were people who were not. You know, they were poor by the standards in, but they still. A generation before they weren't that was normal and we we just forget how much our standards have changed because we compare ourselves to what everybody else has mm-hmm. and let me tell you you know you buy a nice house then you look at the other houses in the neighborhood and see what are bigger houses and you start to go like oh yeah you know i wish i had that and so that it's, it's, it never stops yeah yeah and and i don't know i i think about this in terms of how we teach history i i don't have a punchline on this yet but like uh, you know, as a child, you know, you they're spend... not here. It doesn't have to be funny. <laughs> so, as as a child, you spend 12, 
ish years, 16 ish years, 20 ish years, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, learning, uh, being in the educational system along the way, learning and learning a compressed version of history. Obviously, you can't go back and you have to you have to hit the highlights. But you you there there. I wonder if there's an effect of 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 learning and and intensifying. Uh, uh, a history and a history education um, and then being thrown out into the world. You know, we're talking about breakthroughs. We're talking about things that require scientific breakthroughs. And I think maybe emotionally it feels like those things can be so far away. But what we've seen with AI and large language models and all is that this stuff iterates very, very quickly. The time that we're, that we're talking about in this conversation is not necessarily uh, thousands of years. You know, we may be talking about tens of years, hundreds of hundreds of years, depending on the different issue. Like, it, humanity does move pretty fast. It's just that we have to live one day at a time. I, yeah, it does. It, it, it feels slow. And then in retrospect, he says how fast things happened. I, you know, we've had this talk about, like, artificial general intelligence, right? And a year ago... The timelines for AGI, when we'd reached that, a lot of it was like 50 years or whatever, were really further out. The timeline now in the last eight months is compressed considerably, not just by eight months, dramatically, where people are talking a decade or less. There, there are, and there's some people say, oh, there's insurmountable things we may never, and that might be, there might be some deal breakers out there. I don't know what they are. I, I've seen enough progression in every sort of dimension and understand enough about how you can solve for problems that seem harder to solve. And, because some of the stuff you hear, like, ah, it still can't do blank. It's like, yeah, that's a tokenization thing, and I can combine a thing. with It's just some of these things I go, like, no, that's actually We can fix these not, problems. These are problems. Yeah, like, like, we want yeah, to there, solve there problems. Are, yeah. yeah, we've seen the pathway to solve that. It's not a fundamental thing. But anyhow, um, yeah, I think that we're, we're now, you know, you can sit down and talk to GPT-4 and have an intelligent discussion with an AI. And that was something that a year ago really wasn't, wasn't really – yeah, you could do the GPT three or whatever, and go back and forth. But the way that works now, to GPT four to have a really complex discussion and forget that you were talking to an AI is very easy. So, uh, so, so to bring it back to the to the brief here, let's say that we do this. That we're we're Starfleet. We have we're we've we've got fusion. We've got abundant energy. We've got abundant manufacturing systems. We've got all of the you know Space we, we've travel, got some pretty terraforming, good yeah, we have, uh, they're on the table. Like we can use like, like just using conventional solutions right now. Like we don't have a, there's, there is not a, there's not a realistic way to do fast light travel right now, but there are ways to do, uh, ex near speed of light travel. We, we've talked about this before in the show. If you have enough energy, you can put used beam propulsion and you can propel systems using just light energy it, to accelerate them close to the, you can go, you can go relativistic speeds. You can get 70% the speed of light. Um, you just have to have a way to slow down on the other end. <laughs> yeah. That little, but you can eventually build things up. So let's say, let's say that like if we wanted to, you know, Alpha Centauri. Let's say we wanted to go colonize Alpha Centauri. Sure. Okay, what we do is we build a big, huge beam propulsion array that can propel things. At, let's say fifty percent the speed of light. Okay. Now the 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 challenge is is that like how do you slow it down when it gets there? Because that's the big thing about space is slowing down. You might do systems where, uh, you know, you basically send something towards there that's like a, you know, a 
creates a, a magnetic cloud or something to slow you down. There, there are ways you can schemes and engineering solutions you can kind of figure out. But like once I can have a thing on the other end can slow me down, okay. then maybe I can do it. And one of the things you can do is figure out like, oh, can I like shoot my beam propulsion system towards there and then have it shoot back? And sure. I, I could imagine. I, I, I wonder if the solution looks like uh, instead of sending instead of sending the first one out that needs to be slowed down, just don't slow it down. Design something that's meant to crash into it to create, I don't know, create like a, a beanbag sort of uh, uh, landing yeah, I mean, spot. Like there, there are probably like really interesting lateral thoughts like that that will that will break through right yeah there 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 are things where you might you might aim it and try to put something with a trajectory that gets so close to the sun that you get it might it won't get gravitational capture because it would still probably be going too fast but it might bend you know curve its trajectory and stuff but there are but there are like you said there are things where you can say like okay i can you know for every million tons i can then leave one you know one ton there into orbit whatever you basically want to build is something another beam on the other side that slows you down. So the point I'm trying to get at is that like, you know, you could build a system because again, that's the hardest thing about space people forget. It's not just the getting there, it's the slowing down. It's the slowing down. That was like when, you know, the Starship, which I have, like when that was announced, like I watched physicists, like TV, famous TV personality physicists not get it and go like, why don't they just go into orbit? Okay, where does that fuel come from? You know, the, the goal of the Starship was to, go into the Mars atmosphere and to break using that instead of expending fuel, which is just, it's, you know, once you wrap your head around it, you get it. So anyhow, yeah. we let's say, uh, presumably, it either may take a long time, whatever, but we can build a thing on the other end at the other point of a star system you could have within a decade. Mm-hmm. If we had all this energy, we could, within a decade, we could have a thing there that you could go travel to Alpha Centauri wow. in five years' time. Okay, let's... uh. uh... Okay, I'm obsessed with one idea really quick, if we could take it just for a sec. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about, like, we're talking about transport and landing on another planet, right? Have we tried to blow up a planet? Have we thought about it? Uh, have we? Well, <laughs> Emperor. Uh, uh... I know that there's, uh, there was what, there was that old uh, government plan, potential plan to possibly nuke the moon if need be. Um, but have we really tried to crack open one of those gobstoppers? Um, the the challenge is just the amount of energy you need. Yeah. You know, yeah, so it's... Yeah, the energy. It all comes down... And that's like the thing with terraforming. As you think about, like, how much effort, how much it takes in this. But that being said, if we are in a world of abundant energy and stuff, and one of the things you can start to do is to figure out like how to, you know, harness other forms of energy. There's a, there's a magnetar, right? Magnetar is like this super tight neutron star. That's got a magnetic field that spins around. Like they could fit, spin like one rotation, like every second or something. They're insane. You hear this pop, 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 And you realize wow. this is like a compressed star that's spinning. There's one that does that has a rotation period of like 22 minutes, which is obvious. Oddly enough, the length of a sitcom, not saying, but just saying, is strange, weird. But you could say, oh, how could? Because people are like, oh, could that be used for alien signals? Like, oh, the energy is too complex. Like, yeah, but what if I parked a bunch of stuff in front of it? Like, I created like, put some, you know, energy blocking material, some iron ore, or something like this. 
so that I could create like a Morse code type effect. Like you could start oh, to get into thinking about like like an aperture or shutter sort of system to oh my yeah. gosh, using using a, a magnetar as a as a as an SLR style uh, shutter Morse co- wow okay uh, now when uh, a difficult question I'm not going to hold you to it do we find would we find other life if we go out explore the stars explore the like we probably won't find humanoid life huh it would but we might find bacteriums we could find i i think anything's on the table i mean the the how 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 far out we have to go to find interesting life is going to be the big question are there going to be are there are there other intelligent beings and systems out there i think it's highly likely i i I can think of arguments for why there wouldn't be like certain amount of complexity whatever but i think it's highly likely um the 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 drake equation the fermi paradox like excuse me the fermi paradox i never really took much into that because i thought that if you were if you thought about sufficiently advanced technologies or comp- like the problem the fermi paradox was like why haven't we seen footprints for them or whatever yeah and it, it's just the problem is is that like we, it's trying to imagine like yeah if, if there are if if you know there are advanced aliens why don't we find railroad tracks on the moon well, well why would we find railroad tracks yeah, but well, like why, why if that's not what they say is they go why don't we find footprints or whatever it was like why would we find those things like you're, you're assuming from a 20th century point of view, the things that we would find if 20th century people were doing this, then yes. Because right. I mean, people who were because hu- humanity's uh, footprint extends to Earth and the Moon, and we've shot out a we you know we spat a couple of boys out, out to the different parts of the universe, but it's not like we're exactly making a huge beacon across across the soul across the the, the universe, you know uh, the. This is why we need. This is why we need a Death Star. This is why we need a Death Star, Andrew. We need to blow up planets. We need to make ourselves known in the universe. Um. What if? I oh mean, my gosh. What? Okay. This. Okay. This could be like an interesting sci-fi thing, right? You have like the battle between like destroying parts of the universe to attract attention to humanity, and. And obvious, and like the you know the sanctity of the matter of of letting things exist. So there was a study that just came out asking what public what there was public support for, and they showed that support for moon and Mars landings were low, but one of the top priorities was asteroid prevention. Mm. Okay, that, it's, and and if you could just. Just yeah, you, you, you get him dead center, and then, and then it turns into like a beautiful like uh, a, 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 a what is it a, sh- a, sh- a shower a meteor shower basically, um, you know, and then do it on the Fourth of July, you know, then you got fun for the whole family, you know. I mean, this is um, taking a very pro militarization stance today on the Weird Things program, but uh, it would be interesting to blow a planet up. Yeah, I think uh, you know the. <laughs> They're calling me Bryce Vader. Don't want to kill anybody's dream. <laughs> um, but again, that all takes energy. But again, I'm the one to start the conversation about imagining having abundant energy. But if we do have that, like if we have 
if we can go out there and we can build space stations, I think we're going to have an easier job. I think it'll be easier building like orbital rings and things in that nature. Yeah. Because terraforming. (laughs) It's probably a better idea to make a very big light bulb than to blow up a planet. (laughs) Perhaps. Yeah. I, that's why you get people start talking about orbital rings and things like that, because then it gets to be, you know, a, a different sort of thing where it's it's more it's actually strangely more practical. So mm-hmm. if we get into that world, but if we keep going out there, we're going to probably find habitable worlds. How how far out do you have to go for habitable world? And may you might you find things that are just adjacent that just a little bit will take to be able to to make it more hospitable. You know, that that's going to be an interesting factor. And you look at, you know, uh, Within our own, you know, within 10 light years, you know, like, you extend that outward, what is there? But also, if you start building a civilization, you start building a civilization that basically goes from point to point to point and can relay it, then you can start talking about the idea of transmitting, you know, our personalities or whatever, you know, at the speed of light. You know, you build a station antenna on, you know, Alpha Centauri and Bryce wants to go there. So digital Bryce just gets teleported to there, which is an old idea in science fiction, gets teleported to there, and we spin up a version of you there. Hmm. I, gosh, I'm always so, so, uh, I always think about, like, but, but, the, but, the, but the consciousness, like, like, I feel like if I did that, Bryce here on Earth would be like, oh, okay, there's another Bryce out there on Mars having a good time. But we, I don't know. We'll, but, we'll solve it. We'll find a way to solve it. That that's yeah. But if you if, if you imagine that you Bryce gets to live a very long time and has backup copies and stuff like that too on Earth, okay? So you you get to have a very long time, and so you send virtual Bryce goes off to go there, and and keep streaming data back. By the way, you know you go to sleep at night, and you know Alpha Centauri Bryce experiences are being loaded into your memory. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here here here's something. Like right now, generally speaking, one person has the sensations of about one person, right? You uh but in a world where maybe there is is some sort of data transmission like that, uh what is to stop us from becoming a multi-sensational species? Right, that the the idea of having a virtual having another Bryce, but then maybe you're both of them. I'm describing the Borg now. I think I think I'm inventing a Borg. Um, but wouldn't that be? Uh, well, that's a collective. Oh, okay. Pardon me. But but I mean, I think about and maybe it's because I'm in my 30s, but I feel like the thing I think a lot is I wish I just I want more time there's not enough time in the day to do all these things i want to do but if i if you have i agree time. i think i think oh you could do that i mean i think part of it is like you might have your digital self like i would love to you know like to code and so while i do one thing instead of multitasking i would love to just be able to have like digital andrew say okay go uh according to chat gpt by the way if we spent traveling three years at 70 percent the speed of light our relative time would be about two years Okay, that's not bad for a for a you know a seed for a seed trip. That's not bad. Well, it would be it would be if there was a slowdown six years. It maybe be four years. He might be spending four years on board. Mm. Now, for comparison, 
Yeah. Let's do... Uh, like, how long would it take to get to Mars today, or... Uh, Oh, using like beam, like propulsion, or just traditional Hours. existing yeah. um, technologies. I mean, you're you're talking best case scenario, like three months or something. Okay, 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 okay. They're you're they're like fast intercept or fast intercepts and stuff like that. You can do depends upon you know how close things are, but yeah. okay. So it's fifty years. We're we're fifty years on. We're doing it. We're we're. We're spreading. We've got a little. We've got a trail of planets that we're 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 charting our path through. Um, how does? Well, first off, where where do you sit? Do you want to be on the avant garde and jumping from new planet to new planet, or do you want to do you want to settle down on a different planet? Do you want to settle down on the first new planet, or are you uh are, are you are you chasing that new planet high? I I wonder if I'm just as much a victim of my times as everybody else is when I think about the way I think about stuff. And and you know, a when we think about space exploration, whatever, we think of like Starship Enterprise kind of thing going out there, which we know from the practical point of view, yeah, if you're using, you know, antimatter or something like that. You can get things to get go pretty fast, but we we don't we don't currently have a good idea for how to do like a warp, right? There's all sorts of theoretical stuff, but there's nothing that makes us think that this actually is a thing you could do. It would be cool. So let's forget that for a moment. I'm saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it's like we just don't have, you know, Alkyberry drives, all these sort of stuff. They all have their they're all just purely theoretical. Yeah. If you say, okay, we live in the world of where you can't go fast in the speed of light, but you want to explore the universe, the galaxy you know, a imagine building a massive thing, a superstar destroyer startup sized system thing that gets launched from our solar system via a humongous solar array, powering beam propulsion, whatever. I mean, things that are going to literally be, you know, the size of collectors, the size of the planet Earth, humongous massive scale. We go, ah, oh, that's too hard. We can't do it. It's like you can see parts of Dubai on from space. You can see cities from space. We can do this. We we do these things now. We call them cities and highway. We do this sort of scale. Building in space is obviously a hundred x harder to do, but compared to what we do now versus what our ancestors did, the idea of this age of acceleration, whatever. So imagine you build some system like this thing like this. And this thing is basically, it's just going to go straight on out there. Maybe it's going to hit some other star system and eventually you know, hit, kind of do a rendezvous with Rama kind of trajectory where it's going to come, you know, bounce around and come back, come back to Earth in a couple thousand years or something. But you could build this platform and we could talk to it all along, send information to it. So if we built this big, huge, you know, platform or whatever on there, they can then launch other craft. Can other do stuff? Maybe there's ways they can get materials by using like lasers and shooting asteroids and collecting particles, which would be moving it ridiculously fast. We did it, but there might be a thing that you just build, you know, uh, not an arc, not like this, but a a basically a fast moving factory platform type thing that you can just send out to space mm. and then mm. launch missions from there. Well, and. I I wonder. I mean, at what point 
if if we really do assume, uh, you know, uh, un- a high amount of energy and technological uh, uh, capability, because we don't have, we don't really have mega projects. I mean, we've got we've got big, we've done big things. <laughs> to put that on humanity's box, we've done big things, but. I'm I'm I, I'm not at least not able to come up with something that say took multiple generations of people to create to initially build right mm-hmm. the Burj Khalifa took a long time but it was not a generational project is yeah. is space and the universe is that the the dividing line to that point where where we have to say we collectively want this goal so much so that we that we can 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 sign up generation a, a, another generation or generations of people to build either you know this 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 platform like you're talking about or or i mean at some point like why don't we just put boosters on the earth well there's okay there's probably a lot of great reasons not to do that but well, I don't, I don't expect sign on from everybody on this thing. I don't, I don't think that like I, I, in my world, it's either nations, sovereign funds, corporations, or whatever, the tremendous amount of money. Let me give you, you know, a hypothetical example. Sure. What is the most valuable company on the planet right now? Uh, uh, is it Apple? Cause Apple certainly got the most money. It is Apple. Apple, I mean, there there might be privately held, but as far as we know, Apple is valuation at like currently like three trillion dollars. Okay, Apple has Apple spent billions, billions with a B, on a self driving or a car a car project to try to build their own car, which as far as we know has been dwindled down considerably in size. They spent billions on it, and it never affected their bottom line. And you think about that's the and when you imagine a thousand x scale over that, like like we go oh but that's really like okay, there was a question of once upon a time not that long within within the time frame of this podcast would we ever see a trillion dollar company? Okay, well we have seen a trillion dollar company. We've seen that in the form of first Apple and then Apple then then it was oh wow then we saw what about two trillion and then it passed three trillion and nobody paid attention. It was like oh yeah well that's just Apple. What I'm saying is the amount of revenue and money they have is humongous. So when you imagine companies at that scale are bigger, which they will be bigger, there are going to be more than that. There are going to be ten trillion dollar companies. There are going to be trillionaires. There are going to be people who are going to have this sort of wealth that we can't even conceive of now. But also in an age of like extreme abundance, where things become much more efficient to do. So you don't need everybody on the planet to sign on to it. You just need you know you have the the you know the leading space effort on the planet. So I'm, you know, funded by, you know, Elon Musk, you know, SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And so I think you get to a point where uh, you don't, everybody on earth does not have to agree to this. It sure. just has to be somebody wants to put the money to it. Hmm. I, I guess so. I get, but when we, when we, you know, I just have to imagine that when this, when there, that there's a scale tipping point where, where the magnitude of everything that we're talking about is so large that it has to be viewed in a completely different um, perspective to the way that we do it now. You know, like I, 
like if like if we're making like a big I I don't know I have to imagine that there's something I, there's something planetary sized that I think humans can could get behind generally broadly speaking we're, we're not we 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 are if, if it's going particularly if it's going to affect the planet we're not that was like the problem I always had on the space elevator is that even if you solve the physics of a space elevator we live in. There are 100 plus countries on our planet. There's going to be people going to be affected differently. The potential damage that could cause by this thing collapsing, whatever, could be huge. It was just not going to be a thing that at this point that we were going to do. And also, my argument was reusable rockets were going to be. And I was our first arguments for our new listeners here on the show were me arguing that reusable rockets were the way forward because space elevators were just they were not the practical thing that we thought they would be. Um, but that, and it's just, it's for many things. It's just, you're not going to get the sign on for that. Who gets to control access? You know, who gets to do this? Who gets all that? It's just, it's just not a realistic sort of thing, which is fine because I'd rather have a bunch of people kind of pursuing their own agendas than everybody agree to one, because if it's the wrong agenda, then you, there's nothing you can do to stop it. So then as human, okay. So as you, let's, you know, we're, we're, let's say as we cast a streak out, from earth toward through planet or planets, um, external, Mm -hmm. uh, what, what is the thing? What do they do when they land? What do they do? Do they, do they, do they stake a claim for the country, the company, the planet? Do they, do they, do you build a fence? Is there a, is there, is there a registrar of we have, the planets and who own, I, who own them? So that gets, that's a great question. Cause you have to ask that gets to the underlying point. What would be the underlying goal of this? And I have two. Okay. okay? Uh, three actually. Okay. One knowledge, acquire knowledge about the universe, but they're all equal. Okay. Second is to expand the human experience, to expand the, the human's experience is why we just don't do probes. It's why we want to put people out there to expand the human's experience. Three, to make humanity flourish. I want to see humanity flourish throughout the universe. I don't mm. think that we're likely to run into intelligent aliens anytime soon or in our neighborhood. And so I would like to see humanity flourish and spread across things. I look at the wonderful things we produce, the wonderful things we're able to do. I think that the human experience is an awesome thing. I like to wake up every day, uh, and I would like to see that expand. So what does that mean? How do we make that happen? So that would be colonizing, building building colonies and creating new worlds and creating new places, new places for people to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because, because, you know, the, the motivations that you, you've, you've got – are they're they're human they're they're are they're kind of yes. a species level thing where like uh, there there's there are many much longer conversations i'm sure with more qualified people about uh, colonizing earth co- colonialism on earth but I, I see you in our chat says but what if they're just tall blue cat people they're and, not human and then and then we th- then we we no, but then we we learn we take we learn from the lessons of the past, but we have no reason to think that they're out there. You know, science fiction. We only science fiction in storytelling. We only use we're, we 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 favor the conflicts we're familiar with, mm-hmm. and the ones we're familiar with are encountering other intelligent species. I think when we go to worlds that have other ecosystems, things like this, yeah, we're not going to really want to try to change those. But if we go to ones if 
if you had an Earth-sized Mars, you know, that you could tip over and turn into a habitable world, then yeah, you do it. If you come to a place like that and there's a bunch of, you know, ant people walking around building, you know, stuff, hands off. Like, like that seems to me like, don't do it. There's going to be plenty of other spaces to do it. And maybe what we're doing is building habitats in other places. But the idea is that we, we get stuck. Like, I'm like, yeah, if we come into contact, then yeah, we shouldn't. But not leaving, not, not going out there. That's not an excuse to not go out there. Well, what if we need somebody? Well, if, we, if we're ethical enough to decide not to leave Earth because we might run into somebody, then we'll be ethical enough to decide don't F with these people when we encounter them. Yeah. Um, and I think that we, we, there are trillions of planets out there. And mo- the, the likelihood that we'll ever find intelligent life, the likelihood that we'll in the next 100, 200 years find intelligent life, uh, or contact, I mean, physical contact, maybe signals and stuff possible with the idea of physically encounter them seems extremely unlikely to me. So, but we do know that we could encounter thousands of planets and let's let humanity flourish and, and by wildlife on earth too, yeah. you know, let's let, you know, let's, let's let grizzlies and penguins and everything else flourish as well. Okay. Pitch, pitch for a story. S- literal star cross lovers. Okay, two humanoid species living on opposite ends of the universe for whatever reason, maybe for like a minute, they find out that the other civilization does exist out there. And they're the only two like humanoid ones. And then it becomes a race to become to become the aliens, to be the first uh, species to get to the other side. And then but then they meet in the middle. Oh, and then they meet in the, the two lovers meet in the middle. They meet in the center of the universe, and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then that gets radiated out into the rest of the world. Love, peace, unity, respect, plur happens throughout all of creation. End of book. There you go. Write it. <laughs> Write it up. Uh, Write it up, ChatGPT. Different. When you think about different time frames, so ICU points out says boy should come with a directive, at least a primary directive. So. The prime directive was obviously a very, you know, uh, acknowledgement of, you know, when, when they wrote Star Trek. And I don't know if it was Roddenberry or Coons or whoever came with it, the specifically writer came up with the idea of the prime directive. But um, in Star Trek, you know, the idea is like, ah, we shouldn't interfere with the development of another culture. Okay. Now, as you know, Star Trek is all about deciding when to break it <laughs> because they always <laughs> decide. Well, in this exception, they're about to be doing this. And then sometimes it becomes this like, oh, my God, I, I death before you violate it. Or, and, yeah, you know, I mean, I called it. And then like, ah, ha, ha, carry on. So it's always been a very loose thing in there because the problem of the prime directive is, let's say we encounter, you know, uh, the South, you know, we counter Earth circa like, you know, 17 you know 1805 and slavery and all that's a real thing oh yeah what do we do and we're like hey um man we we could help boost their economy and slavery would go away (laughs) what do we do do we say we don't want to interfere with the natural course of things Mm. it it becomes an interesting thing and when you look at on a big broad level of like ah let's not interfere with indigenous americans and stuff but when you start to think like ah it's 1939 you know, and we see that, you know, 7 million people are about to be exterminated for their religious views. Sure. What do we do? What? Do, ah, I can't interfere with the natural course things. Like, like, why not? Why can't we? You, the answer would be that because we don't know how things would turn out. That's fair. So then you say, okay, 
what what is what is the ethical thing? And my solution is like what I what I as a Jewish person living in a you know part of Germany want you to the Federation to interfere. Yes, yes, very much. I would like you to interfere. Please interfere. Mm. Ah, but you don't know what's going to happen. You know what? I'm going to get put onto a train, and I will never know what's going to happen. So uh, I, I will take this. I think it comes down to that. It's like my problem with like Day of the Earth Stood Steel still is you get like this robot and this humanoid come down on Earth and are going to pat, hold judgment on us. And they're judging us by the actions of our governments. And some of these governments were not democratically elected. And it would be like judging a Chinese citizen by the CCP. That's not fair. It's not fair to them. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a victim of a dictatorship or you're a victim of a power structure, why would you kill everybody on the planet, every child, everybody else, because the people in power? Like the, to me, the better system should be like, oh, you guys don't come to agreement. I'm going to kill every politician. Okay, now I'm on board. <laughs> Not really. Well, I'm just saying as a foot story. And 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 uh, I think there's an interesting perspective if you flip flip the script on it. What if a humanoid species comes to Earth and starts to say like, "Hey, you know, the way that you're doing food is wrong. Hey, you're doing food like all wrong. You're killing animals. You know, it, like something that we are okay with today, like." killing animals or mm-hmm. or even dying just even the fact that humans can die who knows maybe it's like you guys are still dying or like i i think there would there would be a lot of preoccupation of of any sort of advice an alien species tries to give us um and and yet i guess i guess i guess you get into this idea of like who knows who knows what's – who's got the right history and experience, right? You know, you talk about the historical World War II uh, concentration camp example. And, like, yeah, like if an alien came came down and said, hey, if you, if you stop this, you're going to save millions of people's lives from another human's own actions. Um, I think there's an understandable trade there on the scale there. But, but, but it, it – it, I think there's also outside of just the objective element of, of, of just this is the timeline and this is these are the actions. There is an emotional element that I think we as as an interfering species or as an exterior species coming in would really have a lot of friction with. Like we already don't like listening to the humans on Earth. Why the hell are we going to listen to an alien? No, that that would be that that it would that's where persuasion and ideas to give choices. So, for instance, if I was if we if we came to a version of Earth and it's 1939, everything's about to go to war, right? And and we can say, hey, listen, um, uh, if we let, let's say we have really advanced technologies, whatever, and then we can come out and point and say, like, hey, listen, we we don't think you guys should go to war. Uh, Germany, we don't think it's really a good idea that you you know start exterminating people. So what we're going to do is, one, uh, we'll give everybody on the planet, you know, because look at all the war refugees, we'll give you the option to hop on board a spaceship and we're going to take you someplace else. You know, you know, do you, do you want to avoid this entirely? You know, we'll build you a new city. Building. We're going to give you the personal option. Give the idea is to give people personal choices if you want to do this. Because what we tried to do in World War II, once we did this, we tried to, we did these flights to bring these boat flights and stuff to try to fly children to safety and whatnot and people out of there so they could avoid the conflict. That's historically a thing that's happened where, hey, this is going to get ugly. Let's give you a way out. And that's why you have refugee camps, things like this. So we can say, yeah, we're going to create like the most the most awesome refugee camp you can imagine. You can just come chill out there. You can go home afterwards if you want. It's totally cool, whatever. That would be an option. That would be a thing of saying, okay, 
we're not going to tell your governments what to do. We're not going to stop them there. You know, and that that would be an easy option. Another option, it gets more complex. They're like, yeah, like, uh, you know, we have a we have a shield technology. You know, we'll give you the shield technology, and you can protect your cities from getting bombed. And if you start using this in an offensive way, like using to protect your military bases that you launch missions from, we'll just shut it off and it won't work. They could start imagining, you know, solutions, but the simplest is to give each person a personal choice to say, yeah, I, I want to, I'm bound out of this, guys. I don't want to be part of this conflict. Hmm. Hmm. And that brings up like, yeah. like my, my thing, like, you know, we have, there are, Cultures right now, there's still some kind of like uncontacted cultures on our planet and like tribes and stuff, I think in the Andalusian Islands. Uh, yeah, there was a story a few years ago of some guy dying or getting very seriously injured because he tried to contact one of those tribes. Uh, and they're very... They're- well, the, like Norm, whatever Rockefeller, like he got probably eaten by them, you know, and, and that was a case where like they had been attacked in prior by some, you know... European and then he showed up and they thought it was, you know, like they, they're, they're not an evil people. You know, they're not, they're not, although many of their practices might be described as evil as many of ours have too. And that's another thing too. It's like, there is like, you know, uh, if you, you know, if we went back and saw like Mayan culture as it was being practiced, we'd be like, ah, this is horrific as would many European practices. But I guess my point there is like, man, is it fair to like some 12 year old kid born into that culture? that has no idea or anything else that's out there. Is it fair to say, yeah, we're not going to, we're going to go out of our way to not let you know that there's a thing called TikTok, YouTube, and all these other cool stuff that you could actually have a longer lifespan, be able to select your own mate. Mm. Is that fair? Well, and to what ends? You know, I, 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 I like it, it does. It, it sounds idyllic, but it also sounds like, uh, it sounds like maybe what could be said if you wanted to make a new slave trade, an interstellar slave trade, of oh no, I even meant right now. I meant like right now, like if we, if we, uh-huh. if like those con, like you take those, the you know, a, a tribe like that, you know, mm-hmm. are we behaving in an ethical? Feel like oh yeah, we should let them develop. Like I don't know if you're like a ten year old girl that's going to be born, you know, ten year old girl in that culture that's about to be married off in two years and whatnot. And maybe going to have to do a life of suffering. Are we, would, are we, are, are we, is it ethically, if we have the ability to give them a choice, are we behaving ethically? Because I wouldn't want that choice denied to me. Well, and I don't, what is our, what is our position to inter to intervene in the first place? I mean, uh, there, it's not like the more civilized world doesn't have its own atrocities that, uh, are, are, unaddressed or unsolved like and we get to say hey you have to put a shirt on because i i have a i have a civic no i'm not saying that but, we tell anyone no, i'm not no I, i've no, never I, said you have to tell anybody anything my, my point is should we if could we if we could if they had a written language if we could leave some pamphlets that said hey if you want to tap out let us know like that's my point is to say like 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 it's not forcing them to do a thing but to mm-hmm. say that like you know, it should, it, it, what, what an ethical thing to be, to be, to allow people to have the same sort of self-determinism that you and I have. Yeah. Well, and, and it is, it is, this conversation is difficult because I'm sure I, because I, I know, I know very little about any of these actual tribes, so I can only speak very broadly. Um, but they're also 
human beings. They are not aliens. There's, they have motivations and drives, and for whatever reason, for whatever circumstances and, and events that happened, this these tribes exist, and these are these are the way that they do things. Um, uh, and. I guess I guess I think there's just like a question of maybe sovereignty. I don't know. Like, well, is, okay, so that gets into it. So, it, it, imagine next door. You know, there was a big, huge warehouse building, and you found inside of there were several generations of people been living there, and were not allowed to go free. Were that was the whole world they knew. Everything was inside of there. Okay, uh, and there were children there, born into it, whatever, die into that. You'd call the cops. Right. Uh, if yeah, if there was, if I thought there was a crime, if I thought like yeah, I I think in prison, you know, I think I think like they're marrying children off at twelve, they're doing this, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're the 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 infant mortality rate was was ridiculously high, whatever. I mean, you mm-hmm. you know, we'd want to do something you know, about that, right? And and we've had that. Examples at like parts of like very like rural parts of American Appalachian stuff. And sometimes like this, we find out like these little communities and stuff that are heavily inbred or whatever. And we say like, that's not right. And also, but like if you found these people contained there, you would think, well, the moral thing is because not just because you don't call the cops because, ah, it is a law that is being broken. You're like, oh man, this is wrong. A wrong is being done to these people. Sure. Uh, though, uh, not even though, but I also think it might be analogous to to think about it on the country scale, right? Like, what I I I don't know the atrocities or or what we would consider atrocities that happen in any in any particular tribe or or group of people. Um, hmm. It's a it's a thinker. <laughs> it is it is it is because because you you have to come to your point and that's well, well I I think the thing I'm trying to nibble around and maybe I'll just dive into it is like um, when we have a disagreement with another country we don't well I, 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 in a refugee war situation you do try to get people out of there but I think there's there's also something to be said about like, well, okay, but can we not erase the things that they've done and make their life better? Is there a way to bring them so up? So that gets yeah. part, part of the crux. Our, our, the way we behave sort of now is when we deal with sort of these groups, we recognize these groups, is we'll sort of say, we don't want to erase that culture. We don't want to erase that things. So we'll minimize contact and we'll do that. We look at, you know, we look at like the anti-missionary position. The missionaries, you know, kind of reached out, made contact, brought people into the larger world for better, for worse. It's complex. Here we have this attitude like, oh, we don't want to preserve that. And my problem is that's treating people more like animals than like people. Like my problem is that the, our, our policy for people should be the same one as if we find a new species of wolverine. Our policy for people to me is to respect the individual's rights, the individual's, you know, freedom of choice and autonomy. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that level because we say, oh, we want to preserve this culture. But like, but I don't, it, but I, I left home. I, I went out in the world because I knew that was an option open to me and I did not want to have to preserve my culture. 
did not want to have to do that. I, I, I carved my own path because I had the freedom to do that. And for me to say, I get this, but other people don't, I don't like that. I, 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 mm, I think there's a dissonance that I'm trying to unpack between um, something so horrific or, or, or un, untasteful things happening uh, in a part of the world that are so bad that require intervention, but an intervention that is opt is is optable is is like it's bad, but yeah. it's not so, hmm. Uh, that so so let me let me try to address that too because okay. the challenge is this is that we are very bad at intervention. We suck at intervention. Okay, um, we we are very very bad at it. We we don't succeed at it. And in a very much cases like this, you know, when we when we try to liberate countries and stuff that aren't developed countries like our own, it just doesn't work. You know, Japan had a very built, had a big industrial base, was modernizing very quickly. We went to war with them, defeated them, then went in and said, OK, we're going to make you more aligned with us in certain ways. They were already on a path of alignment that the, the war with us was just kind of like in a kind of more of a, an aspect of when you become an empire or whatever kind of thing. But the long term we were headed towards alignment anyways. Other countries, not so much. Other cultures, not so much. When you look at like Latin America, when you look at the conquistadors came through there and, and life under the Mayans and Aztecs is not fun. Like we were able to take over those empires so quickly because everybody around them hated them, helped them. But it wasn't like life turned out awesome for those people afterwards because you had Western disease, you had enslavement, you have these other issues that, but after a period of time, when you know when slavery was abolished, you know throughout the continent, etc., you still had people who were indigenous peoples who were living on the frontier, and it's a very was a very very difficult and still is a very difficult sort of world for them because they are very steeped in one culture here, and there's Western culture on the other side, and you get stuck in there, and often the only sort of opportunities there are not good ones. You know we've seen this in Australia. You have Aboriginal people that have had a culture that's remained largely the same same for like tens of thousands of years. And for many original is, you know, adopting to Western culture is very, very challenging because it's just so radically different. So on the frontier can just be a horrible place that can last a long time. And, and you could arguably say that it took Europeans thousands of years to overcome being on the frontier and get in, on board. So yeah. I would say that that's the other side of it is to say like, yeah, we can we can intervene or say something. But what's our track record? Forget for, forget the genocide and enslavement. Even post that, are we you know are we better at that? You know we 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 were involved in Afghanistan for decades, and then we left Afghanistan. Is Afghanistan better now than it was twenty years ago? Like I don't know. I'm not I'm not going. Is I do not I can't I do not know. Okay. To know that I, I certainly think that. You know, it felt like there was a lot more Taliban power now than there was before. And Wait, so, so I guess then, uh, not as an object, uh, not as an objection, but as as just a clear, uh, a, 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 just a probing question, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Do do you think, in general, humanity's track record with uh, refugee operations is? good is good enough compared to uh intervention oh i think yeah i think i mean i think i think that's a different thing like obviously we could handle that much better but i do think that we we our heart is in the right place for the most part with that we try we do try to do that that's different when some people say i want to like 
I want to up and get out of here. Like our country is filled with refugees and people who came here. And part of it too is we have an assimilation thing where, you know, the 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 people that have had the 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 worst end of it were the Native Americans who weren't refugees. You know, they were the ones that, you know, were, you know, were here before us. And so that was certainly different. But people who sort of said, yeah, I'm going to hop on a boat and go over there. I'm, I just want to live. I don't need to preserve anything. I'm willing to adopt. So I see you ask the question, what if the U.S. stumbled across a small country on the verge of turning communist? Leave them be, let it happen. So first, what does it mean to be on the verge of turning communist? Are they about to take a national vote to decide that they are going to become communist? Or is there a small military faction that is going to try to seize control of power and turn them communist? And that's the challenge. It's, it's one thing if somebody says, oh, we're going to vote this way. It's another thing when a small faction is going to force themselves onto the rest of everybody else. And that historically was what got us into Vietnam. It's what has got into Korea because it wasn't a unanimous decision. There is a South and North Korea because South Korea said, no, we don't want this. There was a South Vietnam. And South Vietnam, that was who our allies were, is that we were the ones supporting them as they were trying to prevent the country from being turned, taken over by Ho Chi Minh, et cetera. So right or wrong, separate question. But the point was, is that both these cases were, it wasn't that there was a widespread vote. It was one faction fighting another faction. And so we sided with the faction that was in theory pro-American, but often that's backfired because pro-America doesn't necessarily mean pro-good. Well, uh, and, it could be complex. And and that that's something that 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 ticked for me is like, we, we've kind of turned this into... Under, understandably how we got here, a more U.S.-centric um, approach to this, I guess, where I think there is a, hum, a human species layer when we talk about, um, mm-hmm. A, either, you know, these tribes and groups of people across the world or potential uh, uh, p- potential un- uncontacted life in out in the universe. Um what what is our role what of I, intervention and 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 getting involved or making contact at all? If we find another species, should we even make contact? Are we allowed to make contact? Are we should we should we even allow I, ourselves that's to? That's why be- I I like to raise it to the individualist point of view. Uh, I don't think by addressing the sovereignty of a, and that that's been my my criticism. A lot of science fictionists, like I said, David Earth can still is that they they decided that the, the unit to measure us by was the sovereign powers and control of us, which seemed like a horrible idea. That would be like deciding, like, oh, 1805, like, oh, slavery is bad. Well, we're going to kill everybody, including all the slaves. Like, wait a second. Like, what? I, I, you know, like, I don't have a choice in this. And so that's where I say, what's, what's the simplest solution? You address it on an individual level. Individuals give you a choice. So in the case of a, if, if the U.S. stumbled across a country that's going to turn communist, if it's, a, if it's going to be a democrat, democracy or whatever, they're going to do it, it's fine. All we want to do is watch out for the atrocities. All we want to do is make sure that they don't do whatever the communist power does and start killing people in mass, whatever. My attitude is like, uh, well, if, if you're going to turn a bunch of you know foreign-owned property into state property, then compensate for us this. If the people are voting for this, then like, it's not going to be our position to intervene. Uh, we think it's stupid. You're going to be poor, but that's fine. Just don't kill anybody, and you know we'll be standing by. It's also because otherwise. You know, it's interfering with self-determinism. But uh, I, I, I do think there's a little world policiness of, of like, I don't know. It's, we're, uh, I don't know. It seems presumptuous to 
to to to make to offer that to to let there be a choice for there to, to be a choice on an individual level like i understand i guess when when now we just get into like actually just describing <laughs> geopolitical politics but like yeah but my point i guess the thing is the way the way that i would apply it is what would you want in that situation would would you when do you not want a choice tell me when you don't want a choice and people always say i want a choice people always want a choice so i have to if you're asking what's the ethical thing for me to do if 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 we were a super intelligent species you know we if we encountered some other culture that was like horrific and you're saying what's the ethical thing for me to say well i'm now for the individuals of choice like hey everybody like you want to bow out come hop aboard a teleporter well you're free I, to do that i i think it's tough when we don't when when we aren't able to be more specific about that, like um, I think it would be tough to say, like, hey, no, like slavery is kind of not cool at all. Like I, I I I think there are certainly a lot of failure points that that you <laughs> that 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 make it tough to go to every individual and give them a di- a direct choice. Um. To, to and the, and then like I don't know I did it, it, it but, but do, do you at least do, do you get what I'm I'm kind of coming at here like if like if slavery's so bad why don't you just stop it like well because the guys who benefit from slavery don't want to stop it like I well that's my point is to say that like if I was if if we were a super advanced civilization and we came in contact with somebody else was doing it like. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's the problem is that they're not going to stop. That's why I'm going, I mean, individual, like each person, you know, like sitting there in the field, pop up and say, Hey, listen, um, did you and your family, do you want to get out of this? Here's my ship, hop on board. You're free. That's what we did. That was partially where we had the underground railroad and stuff. That was a solution when we couldn't, you know, eliminate slavery Mm -hmm. was to let's go, let's, let's just create options for people to get the bug the hell out of there. And like, I love that. I think morally that's, that's a great choice is to say, not kidnap, not Yank people out of there against their will or whatever, but to say, you want to get on here? Come on. Interesting. You know, at the end of the Vietnam War, you know, we we flew tens of thousands of refugees to here because there were South Vietnamese people who were very anti-communist, very against that. They were like, yeah, I don't want to be in this country now that's going there. Part first, because they're going to murder me. Second, this is going to suck. And so we're like, yes, come here. We had all the boat people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuba. When Cuba, we did the, the Mario boat, boat lift. Yeah, that was we're like, hey, like, uh, you don't want to be in Cuba. Anybody hop on a board window at a time. Of course, Cuba, like, emptied out their asylums and prisons and stuff and sent that to us, too. We had a ton of people who came to South Florida who were like, yeah, we do not want to be part of this. And I'm like, yeah, like, I'm all for stuff like that. That's great. You know? It's, yeah, there's there are a million more threads to pull on this. I, yeah. I, I can only see more and more weeds in front of us. <laughs> yeah, remember when we, the Berlin wall, uh, we were helping people cross. They were trying to stop people. Just saying that, that, that we ethically, you say, you know, when you're trying to decide, like, well, how do you behave? Like, so anyhow, um, you want to wrap this up? You have a pick? Uh, yeah, I got a pick. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, you know what? This here we go. Um, I this is a new uh, show on Netflix. It's a uh, it's a cooking competition show. Uh, it's called Five Star Chef. Uh, it's pretty good. 
it's um, I think Michelle Rue is the the main host, and um, they bring on these people and and really focus on them making very very high end five star um, caliber meals. Um, and I think it it is interesting in that it is very much it's kind of plain. It's kind of boring almost in that way. Like here is your here are two challenges every episode. Here's a smaller one and a bigger one. Uh, cook the best food, and they'll have like they'll have uh, uh, different challenges that they have to try to keep things to. But it's not like uh, who can blind who can blindfold cook an egg best or or anything weird like that. It's about these people actually vying to run one of these high end uh, restaurants. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's good, and it's a, it's a pretty easy watch. Five-star chef. Well, I have a uh, channel. Let me pull this up, um, get the name right. I I don't know much about who made the channel. As far as I know, you know, it could be a cult or whatever. But, man, they put out a ton of content. Some of it's pretty good. Um, and that is Marvelous Videos. Because, hmm. like... Like, if you ever wanted to know, like, uh, why Constantine's rotten, cancered lungs haven't killed him? What are the insane hidden powers of Darth Vader? Uh, you know, what would happen if Brightburn's evil Superman, you know, fought, like, Superman himself, you know? Okay. Uh, what is, you know, why is it almost impossible to kill Plastic Man? <laughs> like, they just take these questions... Maybe you never asked, but they just do these. They put out like several videos a day. They have an insane track record of putting out videos. Wow. They have a lot of really fun sort of like things. And then it just basically, it's like people doing book reports about these characters and topics. And a little bit dry sometimes, whatever, but it can be kind of interesting. So that's one of my, one of the channels I've enjoyed watching it. And another one too, like, man, um, uh, Beast Philanthropy. You subscribe? Uh, is, that, is that a Mr. Beast thing? That's his philanthropic cha- philanthropic channel where all the proceeds they make from that goes to help. And they do things like, you know, buy artificial legs for amputees and, you know, provide internet to remote islands or give away sneakers and stuff. So he gets these corporate sponsors who come in and either they're going to supply a product and money or they're going to help pay for something or whatever mm-hmm. and helps to kind of, you know, improve the quality of life for people. Neat. I uh, think it's a... Very, very noble, very generous thing. I've heard it's funny because, like, you get like, oh, well, because he did it anyway, like hearing aids and somebody who, uh, hearing aids or something like this. And that was like, oh, well, that you're telling people they're imperfect. I'm like, that's not telling people they're perfect. It's like giving people a choice. It's not like he was tracking people down on the streets who had hearing problems and forcing them to have hearing aids, you know, as, as, a, as a child of somebody who needs hearing assistance. Um, I'm very glad it exists for people who have it. You know, and, and want it. If you don't want it, then don't use it. But offering it to people is not dehumanizing. Like, so it's weird to see some of the criticism against him. So Beast Philanthropy, big fan. Very cool. I didn't realize. I I, assu- I just assumed it all went through his Mr. Beast channel. But uh, uh, nope, nope, nope. Another channel. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So uh, it's been weird. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.